I'm James Milley. And I'm Alex Mito. And this is The Artist Business Plan. Your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs hosted by Superfine Art Fair. What's going on, business artists? You are listening to The Artist Business Plan, and that means that you, my friend, are certifiably awesome. I am Alex Mito. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair. We're the most widespread art fair for independent artists in the U.S. We're also one of your top resources for all things art, business, and marketing of your art. Today, we've got Kelly Olshan here with us. Kelly is going to share her thoughts on art service organizations and partnering with individuals I'm really excited to hear what she has to say, but first, I've got an amazing offer here just for you ABP listeners. Artists, have you ever felt anxious, alone, and unsure about the next move in your career? Good news, those days are over. Since 2015, we've spent thousands of hours developing the best art fair model for independent artists just like you who want to take control of your career, build your collector list, and make a real sustainable income from your art. Superfine started with the connection between artists and an eager, empowered, qualified buying audience. So many alternatives didn't provide any real value for the artists who spent their precious time, hard-earned money, and major effort mounting and exhibiting their work without the results to back it up. And that meant that it was time for something new. For seven years, Superfine has focused on breaking down these barriers and creating sustainable economic opportunities for artists to build careers from our fair. To find your place at a Superfine Fair, simply visit www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. Don't miss the chance to be part of the top business artist community in the world. Oh, and when you mention the artist business plan, you'll receive $150 credit on your booth no matter what size or city you choose. So that's $150 off. Go online to www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art to set up your qualification call with James and get started selling your art with Superfine today. Again, that's www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. All right, so we are back here with Kelly Olshan. Kelly Olshan is an arts manager and visual artist passionate about providing fiscal and professional development resources for creative practitioners. At NYFA, the New York Foundation for the Arts, she manages a host of programs for artists of all disciplines, including NYFA Coaching and Doctor's Hours, as well as co-facilitating the Artist as Entrepreneur program, something we can really get behind here at Superfine. She graduated valedictorian from UNC Asheville, where she holds a BFA in painting, earned an MA in arts administration from Columbia University in New York. Her research on professional development programs for artists has been published in the Journal of Arts Management, Law, and Society. And prior to joining NYFA, she served as program manager for the Queens Council on the Arts, where she oversaw artist commissioning, portfolio, and professional development programs. She also authored the book, How You Can Commission Art, She's also held roles at Americans for the Arts, Art 21, Art Forum, and Creative Capital. In 2019, she participated in NYFA Learning's own Emerging Leaders Program. She currently serves on the advisory committee of the DOT Public Art Program and as a frequent panelist for NYC's Percent for Art Program. And as a practicing visual artist, her sculptural oil paintings invite the viewer to navigate towards an unattainable space and she has exhibited those nationally. That was a mouthful. Kelly, you have done a lot. Welcome to the Artist Business Plan. 
Thank you. Yeah, I'm tired just listening to it. Um, I love thank it. you so much. I'm really excited to be here. And we are super psyched to have you. Um, before we get started, if it's your first time on the program, um, I want to ask you something that I ask all of our guests just to get, just to help our listeners get to know you. And that is, what is the earliest memory that you have of art? Yeah. So my earliest memory of art is actually my first memory generally. So I'm three years old and my parents, AKA my mom enrolled me in something called early arts, which is essentially one of those pre preschool uh, commitments that parents probably do just to get a break for a couple hours. Um, and so it, per the name, it's all about art projects and being creative. And, um, my earliest memory is making some sort of craft project. Um, it may have involved macaroni. I know it involved gluing something together with Elmer's glue. And whoever was the teacher or you know hosting the program did not trust three-year-olds with glue, rightly so. And so my first memory is being actually quite frustrated that my that I had to turn over the art project I was making for the adult to glue it together. And I felt, remember feeling so indignant, like Ooh. I can't be trusted to, you know, I, that I wanted to do it myself. Like I wanted to complete the entire art project. And so, you know, people who know me will think this is terribly on brand, but um, it just, yeah, it has to do with with art making and, and like wanting to, to finish the thing that you're creating um, myself. I am 100% with you there, Kelly. I had a lot of problems in grade school with, a, well, I guess like a unnecessary authority. Um, I had to get a special pass to go to the big kids section in the library. My teacher made it for me and I still have it somewhere. So I get that feeling of like, I want to do this. I, I can do this. And someone's like, no, you can't. You're like, no, I, I really can. That's an amazing story. Resonates with me for sure. I hope it resonates with our listeners too. Um, thank you for sharing that, Kelly. Yeah, no problem. I, I spent, you know, I come to the arts as an artist and a maker. And so a lot of my childhood was spent, you know, with the likes of a glue gun and any kind of art or craft I could get my hands on. I was definitely that kid. As it should be. I love that. Um, cool. So let's jump into our big questions here. So Kelly, as someone with plenty of experience in the field of arts administration, could you define what an art service organization is and some of the different ways that it can take shape? Yeah, absolutely. So I see an art service organization really a subset of arts administration more generally. And that has to do with any organization, entity, initiative that provides artist services, provide them the resources that they need to pursue their practice, uh, to meet their goals, uh, to attain success as they define it. And so practically speaking, that's money, right? That's grants to artists, that's professional development, um, which can be skill-based or networking-based, um, any of the host of services that support individual artists. And so I differentiate this, and I think generally arts the field of arts management differentiates this sort of subset of arts organizations from those who are engaged in exhibiting or presenting art, which is of course super important too. But arts service organizations tend to typically be more focused on, you know, beyond showcasing the art, how are we serving 
the individual cultural workers or artists or creatives that are making that happen. And so that can be financial resources, educational resources, and something we're doing even more at NIFA now is just also like general resources that you might need to support your well-being. I, I love that. So tell me a little bit more about how NIFA operates as an arts service organization. Like what do you guys do? You know, you just mentioned a couple of things, but let's go a little more in depth. Like what is NIFA doing that's helping support artists in in all aspects of their practice? Yeah, for sure. So NIFA categorizes its services into four general umbrellas. So the first, which it's perhaps the most famous for is grants. So money to artists, in particular, our flagship NIFA, NISCA NIFA Fellowship Program, which is now an $8,000 unrestricted grant to individual artists. It just went up from $7,000 this year. And then there's professional development, which is my department, uh, or NIFA learning, as we call it, fiscal sponsorship, and online resources. And so to dive in a little bit more, um, you know, grants is money, pretty intuitive. Professional development or NIFA learning is all of the topics, the skills, the information, the uh, perhaps connections or um, things that you might need to get from point A to point B with your creative practice. So we do professional development workshops on anything from fundraising, to marketing, to strategic planning, and also more specific topics like how do you break into public art if that's something you want to do, or, you know, what is an NFT and (laughs) how do you make one? Um, So it's it's really a myriad of things. Um, Fiscal sponsorship um, is a way to tap into additional funding resources, even if you're not a nonprofit, and online resources uh, sort of speaks for itself as well. So I can get more in depth a little bit later, but those are the four general umbrellas of NIFA, uh, whose mission is to empower artists at critical stages of their creative lives. I love that. And artists, I hope you're taking notes on those four ways NIFA is there to support you and see if there's any ways that you can get involved, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later in the podcast. So Kelly, why does NIFA dedicate resources to professional development for artists? And what kind of skills should artists educate themselves in more? Um, I'm sure I have some opinions on that too. So I'm curious about yours. Like what, where should artists be learning more? What skills should they be developing? And how's NIFA supporting that? Yeah, I mean, I think the why of that question, which I'll start with, has to do with what are the gaps in resources or the needs in the field and more specifically like the gaps in educational resources, right? So even if you are an artist that went to art school, it's very likely that um, perhaps little attention in the curriculum was given to professional development skills. Um, Though this is changing and there are some, you know, universities and colleges that do this well, Um, but whether you went to art school or you're just a human in the world that went through K through 12 education, perhaps, or um, are just participating in conversations more socially, it's probably likely that you didn't get the core like educational skill set that you needed in order to do what you need to do as an individual artist, which is be um, essentially a small business person to be a creative entrepreneur. And so 
there's this gap in what you need and what was provided. And so artists often feel like maybe they did something wrong, but the reality, that's not true because the reality is it's just not um, something that is necessarily prioritized at art schools or just like in conversations more generally. It's not like as if we're all sitting around talking about digital marketing or you know, credit scores <laughs> had a party. At least I hope not. Um, and so then the question becomes, okay, if this is a need, but it's not being addressed, then what institutions or initiatives are going to step up in order to provide, in this case, creatives, this, this resources they need in order to succeed. And so I see NIFO learning as one of the answers to that and um, providing that type of professional development resource um, among other nonprofits and initiatives that are doing a really good job at this. So that's part one of your question. And we can talk about um, the skills as well. Uh, and as too, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. And I like you kind of touched on some of the like business and life skills that I think art school is often missing. And then how different organizations like NIFA and also, you know, us through this podcast and through the fairs kind of fill in those gaps uh, for artists. Um, let, let's dive a little deeper into the skills. So, so like, what are, you know, we talked about, you just mentioned credit scores, right? That's a thing, but also, you know, entrepreneurial skills, digital marketing, that kind of thing. What are your top three that artists need to really be brushing up on? And, and can they do that through NIFA? Or do you have any other resources in mind that they could um, get, glean those skills from? Could absolutely do it through NIFA. We have free online resources. We have free and low-cost workshops. Ooh, I love that you're asking three. I know exactly what the first two are, but I might have to think on the third. So I think marketing and fundraising are absolutely top skills. Um, marketing is encompasses digital marketing, um, you know, getting your work out there through various, you know, channels, whether it's social media or website, but there's also a communications piece to marketing, um, which is more about articulating what you do and why it's important. And so that has to do with the writing of your artist statement, the way you're talking about um, your work in written materials, but also verbally. Um, so I guess maybe it's verbal and written communications could be two um, or marketing and and fundraising. And and fundraising, you know, could be about procuring grants if that makes sense for you. Um, but you could also think about it as how are you considering a pie chart, if you will, of your revenue streams and sustaining yourself. And that doesn't necessarily have to be through your art. Maybe you have a day job that you really love that's in a creative field or not, and that's part of your income pie. Um, but it's kind of a holistic financial sense of how you are supporting and sustaining yourself as an artist. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying here, Kelly. And I just want to underscore a couple things uh, that I, I'll pull out of there. So the last thing you mentioned about, you know, you about possibly you have a day job, right? And I think that's something that I, some of the best, I would say like the most successful, financially successful artists that we've had on this program have said is that they kept their day job and that took a lot of the stress off of their art career, allowing them to be creative with it and then kind of weaned themselves off the day job versus like this kind of 
picture movie idea of like, I'm walking out the door and quitting and going off on my own. And it's like, yeah, that does work for some people. You know, maybe the pressure can help you kind of propel your career, but sometimes, you know, having your finances taken care of in that more holistic picture can really help you then focus on being creative and, and building a body of work and, and selling it. So I really like that you mentioned that. Um, I also like the part about um, communications and storytelling um, and I, being a marketer myself, like people get this idea of marketing is like, it's where you advertise or how you advertise, or it's like the graphic design of the advertisement. I mean, that's part of it, but a huge portion, if not the main portion of marketing is really how you're telling the story and how you're, how you're contextualizing what it is you're selling. And if you're an artist, you're selling your work and yourself. So being able to talk about it, knowing that it's often awkward to begin talking about it, working through that and getting better and better and better at telling your story to me is, is so key for artists as they begin figuring out how to market themselves. So I'm really glad you brought those up, Kelly. Is that a decent paraphrase or? Yeah, more than decent paraphrase. And I, yeah, I think I would add in terms of, you know, the day job question, some artists, their goal is to transition into making work full time and that's completely valid. And, um, and reasonable. And, you know, our work at Night for Learning, whether through coaching or what have you, is to sort of think, okay, here's your goal. Now let's reverse engineer steps to get there, to accomplish that. And, and there's so many different goals for individual artists. And that's part of what's, you know, fascinating and invigorating about the art field, but it's part of what's maddening because there's just many different concepts of success as there are artists. And so, you can be a perfectly legitimate and successful artist, whether you're making your primary source of income off of it or not. So you could think about it, you know, if your goal is to, you know, leave a nine to five and be a full-time artist, I say, you know, Godspeed, let's, let's help you <laughs> try to do that. But then another way of thinking about it is, okay, here's how I want to be spending my time and earning money Maybe your day job isn't necessarily separate and apart from your artistic practice, but it's all part of one holistic picture that enables you to lead the creative life you want to live. I, I love that. that. That's that's a great point to leave on on that question. And uh, artists, I hope you uh, push the rewind button and hear that again, because it's, it's very, very good advice. Um, and again, everyone has a different path, but that's one path that can be very helpful um, if it works for you. Um, so Kelly, when it comes to artists, we talked about fundraising a little bit. So when it comes to artists securing funding for their work, they're often going to turn to grant writing, um, which a top, it's a topic that uh, many people, myself included, have little to no background in. What is the biggest myth that you've heard when it comes to writing grants? And what are some of the common mistakes and pitfalls that artists should avoid when they're doing that? Yeah, I love the common mistakes and pitfalls question because I feel like many people in the grant writing field, or excuse me, the um, grant making field, you know, when you read enough of these, certain trends tend to emerge. So the first kind of general myth I wanted to share actually isn't specific to grant writing. And I think it's just a more common myth that um, propagates in the art world generally. And that is this idea which I do think is reinforced often um, in art schools is this idea that if your art is spectacular enough, you will get all the funding. So this can happen. Like if my art is fabulous enough, I can just keep doing what I 
what I'm doing in the studio and the exhibitions will materialize. The curators will be knocking on my door, right? And so back to grant writing, it's not just about the quality of your work, though, of course, that's important. And there are a lot of grants that really focus pretty explicitly on, um, you know, the work samples, artistic quality, the NIFA fellowship included. Um, But I say that that's not all of it because with grants, it has as much to do with the other person, the other person or entity being the funder as it has to do with you. Like I see this a lot in um, artist cover letters, um, you know, reading over them or cultural worker cover letters applying for a job, like applying for a job and they write completely about themselves and how great they are and all of their background and things they have to offer. And then nowhere in the narrative is there, well, this is how I'm going to help you. (laughs) This is, I want to acknowledge your priorities, your mission. Um, And in the case of funders, they have funding priorities. And so in the narrative, or or even just in when you're approaching um, which grants to apply for, it's looking into who is this funder or what is it that they're looking to support? What is their priority, their vision, their mission? And how is my work speaking to that? And also helping that foundation or grant-making entity fulfill that mission. So in a more practical sense, that can be you know, really looking through their mission and the guidelines online, pulling out key terms and you know, maybe kind of elegantly folding that into your narrative, but also just answering the question like, why should other people care about what you're doing? And I argue that they should, and we'll always say that what artists do is important, but it's about making that case and thinking a little bit beyond yourself and and your work, but folding in other people's priorities into that. Guys, Kelly is giving you golden advice here. This is life advice. It's not just grant writing. And there's a couple of things that I'm, I'm as you're talking, Kelly, I want to pull out. And these have come up in my in my daily life with you know friends and relatives that I've spoken to in the last week. Um, one of them is this: Why should they care? Right? And that's such a harsh question. I mean, but I'm not saying that in a bad way, Kelly. But it, it's it's a question that feels harsh on face value. Like, why should anyone care? Well, you put the time, the effort, the love, everything into something. But that's a really important question to answer, whether you're a filmmaker looking for funding, whether you're a visual artist uh, writing for a grant, or whether you're just trying to get your work into a specific setting, being able to answer that question in a compelling manner is so, so, so key. And if you're struggling to answer, it doesn't mean that the work itself has any issue. It just means you need to keep working at that. Like we talked about with communication, get through the awkwardness of talking about something that you did. And then answer that question, like, why should they care? And I think that's a good segue into the other point that I really liked, Kelly, which is, you know, understanding not just, you know, writing this amazing artist statement and having these amazing visuals and everything and sending them to 200 possibilities willy nilly and crossing your fingers, doing a little digging. And I say this to anybody who's looking for a job as well. They're like, how do I start? I've got, you know, a resume is out to 40 places. I'm like, Why don't you narrow it down to four or six that you really feel strongly about working at? And in the case of an artist, maybe it's it's um, an entity that would be writing a grant. Four or six that you really feel strongly about, a residency that you really feel strongly about. Like you'd love to go to this place. You think it would be so inspiring for you and your work. And then 
tailor what you're putting together, your proposal, your package, your, your whatever to them and showing what you would do to contribute to their overall mission, not just how awesome you are or how great your body of work is, but how it lines up. And, and that demonstration of your knowledge of them goes such a long way in my experience, whether you're trying to get hired or whether you're trying to write a grant, whatever it may be, just demonstrating your knowledge of that entity and what they're looking for uh, is so key. Um, Kelly, Can I'm sure. In a little bit there, because I just completely agree with everything that you just said. <laughs> um, I am also just a huge proponent of the quality over quantity approach to all arts opportunities, whether you're applying to a job or a grant or, you know, fill in the blank. And there's a few reasons for this. I mean, one is also just is thinking about the artist. Like there are a million and one things to apply to. It's incredibly overwhelming, especially in the age of social media. Um, and your time is not unlimited. Artists aren't compensated for applying to things 99% of the time, unfortunately. And so, and you've got to be making your work. So I think it's sort of a generosity to yourself to be strategic. And then not only that, I think it's more effective so that you're using your time more wisely because to all of the points that you just made, um, on the other side of things, people want to see something tailored, something that really resonates with why them. So I did a panel recently interviewing residency managers, and that's essentially what they said. Like when they're looking at these residency applications, you know, often we think of these big entities. This I'm thinking about Residency Unlimited in Brooklyn, which I think of as this kind of pretty big entity giving residencies. I and mean, the reality is, and this is often the case in the arts, it's like one to three people doing their best. <laughs> and so they are putting their blood, sweat, and tears in these initiatives as much as we are as individual artists. And so they also want to hear why them. They also want to feel like their work is recognized and like, you put in the time to appreciate what they do as much as artists, we want people to appreciate what we do. And so that's why this like intentionality and the research and knowing why this place and speaking to that and making human connections with the people behind the scenes is so important. Um, because often, you know, there's art world can often be smoke and mirrors, but the reality is it's often a few people who just love art or artists doing the best they can and you can connect with them. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree on all of that. And I, I, I know I say this on a lot of the questions, but artists, if you're listening and, and this is some part of your practice, whether you're looking for residencies, whether you're looking for grant funding or whether uh, you just might want to participate in some public art projects, if you go back and listen to the perspective on this question, I think you're going to be a lot better prepared um, for those opportunities um, so we're going to be right back with Kelly, uh, who's going to tell you more about being comfortable as an artist, but first a message from our sponsors. Artists, are you struggling with getting yourself out there and selling your work? Well, you came to the right place. For seven years, Superfine Art Fair has traveled across the United States and connected with all sorts of art professionals from curators, gallerists, a community of successful artists, and everything in between. We've developed strategies to assist hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that they deserve. 
From New York City to San Francisco, Miami Beach to Seattle, your next art fair is right around the corner. You can apply to be a part of the fair when it comes to a city near you by visiting www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. Mention the artist business plan during your qualification call and we'll take $150 off your booth fee for any city and any fair you choose. Today's the day to start taking control of your art career. All right, guys, we are back here with Kelly Olshan. So Kelly, kind of a, a segue from our last question. So when, when, art, when artists are partnering with organizations or individuals, whether it's for public art or for something else, they've got to be prepared and do their research. So when approaching somebody, uh, what should artists consider and what should they avoid and how do they get their foot in the door? Yeah, I think that this topic of relationship building and being intentional uh, translates to partnerships and, and the answer to this question as well. And so I'll speak just really specifically, like if you know you would really love an exhibition at X entity, then it's figuring out who are the humans behind the scenes and making authentic connections with them um, and leading into the authentic things that you have in common saying, I've, I recognize you doing, you know, X, Y, Z exhibition or program. I appreciate it. Here's why what I can do or what I do as an artist is in line with that, but in a way that is strategically building that relationship over time so that you're not going from zero to 100 from you have no idea who I am. And now I'm asking you a favor, um, but building that relationship iteratively. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. And and it's something, you know, we hinged on the last question as well, but it's like, there are people there. It's not just this big organization. I mean, look, we have NIFA, there's Kelly here behind NIFA. Like there are all these entities that we know about and, you know, with Superfine, it's myself and my business partner, James. So thinking about what, who these people are and what they want and, and forging connections uh, goes a really, really long way. And I and I will say, Kelly, like, um, I'm also involved in film and, and film festivals and some other things. And filmmakers often come and they're like, you know, how do I get my film into XYZ Festival? It's not about pulling strings. It's not like I can just puppet master some festival director into putting a film in. It's not really how it works. But getting to know them and getting to know what they're looking for and, you know, what's exciting them. And then when you have a project that's exciting, being able to present it in a way that they get excited about is, is kind of how I interpret that. So, um, and I see the same for visual artists and with public art projects, like, you know, like we said in the, in the previous question, like looking for projects that suit you and your work and creating the relationships that get your foot in the door so that the work then speaks for itself, I think is really key. Um, cool. Well, thank you, Kelly. Um, so guys, we are here at our last question. It's a, it's a good one. Um, so artists are often hung up on the idea of being a quote unquote business. And sometimes the prospect of being considered a business when you're an independent artist can feel unnerving. Um, at what point in your career as an artist, can you definitively say that you're running an arts business? Yeah. So another, I think, pervasive myth uh, when it comes to art business is that artists often have this idea that you have to fill out a lot of intimidating paperwork and officially incorporate in order to be a quote unquote real business. There are different business models, but in essence, if you are a, 
individual artist who is trying to make money, believe it or not, in the eyes of the IRS, IRS, you are a business. Intention to make a profit matters. So if you are listening to this and you're like, I make art, but I also do other things to make money and I sell paintings sometimes, you're a sole practitioner. Um, you don't have to do anything to be a sole practitioner. You just are. And so, um, you know, there's major corporations in this country that operate on a loss for the first five, 10 years of their business. And so you don't necessarily have to be in the black as it were to be an art business either. Um, and, you know, making money uh, is one goal, um, but it's not a prerequisite to running an arts business because there's so many different ways to define value in the arts. That's one of the things that makes this field dynamic and, and multifaceted. Multifaceted, excuse me. It's not just monetary. Um, so my advice is you are an art business. Keep track of your income and expenses. Report them on your taxes. And, um, you know, you're in business. And if you want to go an extra route, like doing an LLC or incorporating, you can do that if it makes sense for you. But it's not um, a, a prerequisite to uh, consider yourself validated. I give you permission. You are an art business. I love that, guys. So Kelly has given you permission. You are an art business. And if you're out there working hard and trying to sell your art, that makes you an arts business. And I tend to agree with that. So Kelly, this has been an amazing conversation. Let's bring it home for our listeners. What's your number one tip for artists out there just getting started? And, and how can they get involved with NYFA and the resources you provide? Yeah, I think if I had to distill it into one thing, it would just be pursue what you're excited about. Like in the same way that you're investigating whatever move motivates you in the studio and you're kind of working towards these things that you find engaging, I think you can take that same approach to pursuing your art career dreams um, and, and move forward in the direction of the opportunities that excite you. In terms of how to in get involved with NYFA, you can go to nyfa.org for all things NYFA. Um, we also have a whole professional development department linked there uh, in the show notes. And um, you can check out our The Profitable Artist book, which is part of our professional development offerings that breaks down all of these how-to components and um you can purchase it or check it out. It's available in local libraries. And um, those things are kind of a culmination of what we've learned in leading these workshops uh, from our Artists Entrepreneur Program to uh, partnerships with educational entities like RISD or MICA or, you know, arts organizations all over the country um, and sometimes internationally. Uh, it's available in that book or where you can join us for a workshop, either online or in person. We'd love to have you. I love that. So guys, nyfa.org, you should get the Profitable Artist book, join NYFA for workshops. And there's lots of resources, whether you're an artist in New York or outside of New York that you can take advantage of. So did you catch all that? And if not, you can always listen to this episode again and all of our past podcasts on our website at www.superfine.world. Uh, to connect with Kelly, follow her Instagram at Kelly Olshan Fine Art or www.kellyolshan.com. Those will both be in the show notes. You can also follow NYFA, N-Y-F-A Current on Instagram. 
Be sure to check us out at Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. We always appreciate it anytime you give us a share whenever you're listening to enjoying the artist business plan, whether it's in your studio, pro- probably not in your car, but anywhere else you are, and you can take a quick video or photo and upload it. We always, uh, we'll always share that when you do it. And another thing that we really appreciate is if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And I know a lot of you might listen through Spotify or through our website, um, but Apple Podcasts is our number one distribution platform. So anytime you leave us a rating or review, that helps another artist entrepreneur like yourself find and benefit from us and our guests' perspective on the artist business plan. And as always, I want to wrap up by sharing a quick quote with you all. And today that quote is, Growth is a spiral process, doubling back on itself, reassessing and regrouping. That is Julia Cameron. Kelly, it has been such a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you for sharing your perspective and your time with our listeners. For that, we are so grateful to you. It's my pleasure. The pleasure was all mine. Everyone else, have an awesome rest of your day. Remember to stay on top of your artist business plan. Get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan. Hosted by me, Alex Mito. And me, James Milley. Join us each week to hear leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas discuss tips and tricks designed to help you thrive and sell more art. To listen to this episode and all of our past episodes, just visit www.superfine.world and click The Artist Business Plan. And we love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message just to let us know you're listening. Want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Go to www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. Until next time, keep listening, keep creating, and keep up your artist business plan.